Britain feels broken, but how do we fix it? Westminster just doesn't seem to have the answers, but we have found some people who do. Join me, journalist Becca Hudson, and me, the former MP Ed Vasey, for How I'd Fix. From the price of a pint to the housing crisis, this is the show where we take an alternative look at the problems plaguing the nation. And hear practical solutions from those in the know. Catch new episodes of How I'd Fix wherever you get your podcasts. Rebuilding Britain starts here. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. The Big Chief with a badge, a cattle prod and a head on a stick. <laughs> Dangerous mid-morning debate with the great dictator. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. As the dust settles on the big political story of the week, the world seems just as divided as it ever was. Is Donald Trump an inveterate bully that can't stand losing and who only wants the media to praise him? Or is he some kind of tactical genius that continues to operate one step ahead of his adversaries? The jury, I'm afraid, is still out. But one thing is for sure, the war between the White House and CNN isn't going away anytime soon. And there can only really be one winner. The battle lines are still drawn elsewhere in Washington. We'll dissect who's going to come out on top. Oh three. 444-499-1000. I can imagine uh, exactly how this show is going to play out because the people that hate Donald Trump will still hate him. The people that love Donald Trump will still love him. Daisy McAndrews here after valiantly looking after the show with Christo yesterday and she's going to be giving us an IKEA update. Yes, the saga continues. And we'll find out why Andy Burnham is so upset about the asylum system in this country. Finally, somebody speaking out uh, with common sense. 0344-499-1000. Plus, we'll bring the latest on Ant and Deck uh, as we gear up for I'm a Celebrity Get Me Out of Here and somebody's made a new cop for children, babies, that's got a built-in iPad. I think that's a great idea. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, and Daisy McAndrew on Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Daisy, very nice to see you. Very nice to see I had to spend a very un- unusual uh, weekday morning and afternoon yesterday sort of looking after my children just because there was a few things that had to be sorted out uh, in, the, in the homestead. So, so I'm very glad to be back, actually. You were the home daddy. I was the home daddy. <laughs> I was the responsible adult, which is not normally my role. <laughs> so and, did that last uh, all day or just yeah, some of the day? Yeah, it was all day. And I had to take the dog out for a walk twice, which in I normally rain. only do at the weekends. Well, it wasn't raining when I started taking him out for a walk, but I've never seen rain like it. It, it really was, was unbelievable. What did our parents say? My mum always says stair rods, steer rods. I didn't really, stair know. Rods, yeah. really know what that means. Well, stair rods are those things that come down from the banister. You know? Yes. And so when it's coming straight down, like in big rows like that, that's what they mean. Oh. Yeah. Well, you there we go. Every thank, day. Thank, thank you very much. And one of the funniest things now. that happened was the dog, because we because it started pouring so much, we were in sort of this field and I decided to have to take a shortcut to get back to the house. And I started sort of piling through this big pile of nettles. And now, you know how puppies, you're told with puppies, don't let them go near nettles. Yeah, they have but dogs, tender paws. But dogs, grown up dogs, are supposed to be fine. Of course, not mine. Well, no. You know, he comes into the nettle patch and then just freezes and stops <laughs> and like, just looks at like me. Like he's on a landmine. Yeah, literally like he's in a <laughs> minefield. And he's looking at me and I'm going, look, come this. And if anybody watched it, they'd think you'd gone mad. I was talking to him. Go, look, just go out that way. Look, over there. You see, over there, look, over there. <laughs> and he's looking at me like, I don't know what to do. It's all nettles. That's like last weekend I took my mum's very elderly miniature schnauzer for a walk yeah. who is, um, who's 14 next week and he's gone completely deaf and when you take him for a walk he just 
he just starts walking and carries on walking. Right. And if you're not going in that direction, you cannot call him back because he's so deaf. <laughs> so uh, he dictated the entire words. I was chasing after right. him, shouting, Monty, Monty. Brilliant. Fantastic <laughs> stuff. Now, we've got to get on with the big business of the yes. day. We've got loads to talk about. Donald Trump, of course, was the, was the story uh, on Tuesday night. Whether or not you're a supporter of Donald Trump, he manages to retain as a front and centre the news agenda. And he's managed to do it again this morning. The, the papers are full, of course, of the uh, incident at the press conference where Donald Trump, in my view, deliberately just kind of shifted uh, the whole kind of uh, centre point of the argument to CNN. Uh, we now see that uh, Jim Acosta, the CNN reporter at the White House, has had his credentials removed from him, uh, which has been recorded. Hopefully we can hear that at some point later on in the show. But let's talk now to Stephanie Baker, who's a senior writer at Bloomberg News, to see what she makes of it all. Stephanie, very good morning to you. Welcome. Thank you. Hi. Thanks very much for joining us. I mean, Donald Trump is an enigma, isn't he? I mean, regardless of whatever you think of him, uh, and I don't imagine that the election results from Tuesday night are going to change anybody's view of him. Um, to me, he's the he's the sort of master puppeteer who just kind of, you know, moves from one controversy to another, trying to kind of change people's view, not on necessarily what he's doing, but just on the subjects they're thinking about. Yeah, I don't know if I'd call him an enigma. I think he's pretty much an open book in terms of, um, you know, what his views are and uh, his mode of operating. Um, I think, obviously, most people were expecting him to move uh, after the midterms to fire his Attorney General Jeff Sessions. They'd had um, 18 months of uh, acrimony. Um, I think he did surprise people by how quickly he moved on that. And he was asked specifically about Jeff Sessions during that testy press conference yesterday and he dodged the question. And now we know he had already asked him to resign. Um, so, yes, I mean, he does have uh, an ability to control the conversation and, and uh, throw people off. Um, but, um, you know, people have learned to expect that. I was talking to Julie Hartley Brewer uh, just before uh, at the end of her breakfast show. She was saying, you know, if something like this happened in this country, probably what you would see is all the members of the White House press corps either getting up and walking out uh, or saying, look, we will not ask you any questions apart from this question. Uh, why? When is Jim Acosta getting his uh, credentials back? Until that happens, I suspect that won't happen at the White House, will it? No, I mean, Trump has um, uh, played this game with the White House press corps and with the, the press corps that followed him on the campaign, uh, playing reporters off of each other. That is, uh, you know, his playbook, and he's done it very effectively. Um, you know, you do see some degree of solidarity in the, the, the White House press corps, but I don't think anyone is going to uh, stand up. There's not enough unity for them all to stand up and walk out. Um, it's quite a diverse group. You've got Fox uh, News reporters who have been very pro-Trump. You've got, um, you know, other smaller publications. And, you know, if, if, if the mainstream news media, the CNN, NBC and the like, walk out in solidarity, that leaves only Fox and co. Uh, in the room. And I don't think that's good for anyone. And Stephanie, can I ask you, obviously his... Um his whole MO is about attacking what you know the mainstream media and, and accusing them of fake news and lies and so on. What kind of impact has that had on the general American public? 
Um, I think some have have bought into that, and I think that you know the press has he has managed to change public perceptions of the press in a way that no other president has. And I think um, the standing of uh, of the media and the public's eye has gone down, uh, unfortunately. And it, I mean, but I think what you're witnessing again is just a, a, an incredibly divided nation. There are people who watch Fox, and there are people who watch CNN and uh, MSNBC. And it's it's more divided than it's ever been in terms of how they cover um, uh, the White House and uh, who watches. Um, you know, we're increasingly in our own echo chambers, um, but it, it has had a hugely damaging uh, effect on the press corps. And um, you know, attending those journalists attending his rallies uh, are worried about their own security because of the way Trump has um, addressed them. Down. I mean, the comments he made about Jim Acosta yesterday were really frightening, given what we've seen and how the press has been uh, treated in the past. I also saw a tweet. I don't know how true this is from somebody who said that those words that he used against Jim Acosta, that he was a, a, a disgrace and that CNN should not be employing him, uh, were the same words used uh, by the person that sent a bomb to CNN. I don't know if that's true. I, you know, I, I saw that as well. I think the language was similar enough yeah. for Jim Acosta to call him out on that. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's it's just out of line to be using that kind of language, uh, you know, to describe and dress down a reporter in the East Room of the White House. It's it's unprecedented. Um, it's hugely damaging. And I think you know, for some people looking at this, this is not really about politics or policy. It's about kind of. Deep Decency and um, you know the tone of the discourse, which has plummeted sure. under this uh, White House. But I think the t- I mean a lot of people will, will find this difficult to understand. And Stephanie, maybe you can explain it for us because Andrew Neil wrote an interesting piece a while back about how he had been in America and he's worked there, of course, a former editor of the Economist, former editor of the Sunday Times, now BBC. Said he saw a panel show on CNN in which four people were discussing how awful Donald Trump was, and then he saw a panel show on Fox in which four people were discussing how brilliant Donald Trump was. He said, surely for the sake of good television you would put the two panels together. Why does that not happen in in the U.S.? Well, you know, with CNN, they do make an effort to bring on um, uh, Trump supporters, people who have worked for Trump in the past. Um, you know, they regularly have on Alan Dershowitz, uh, the the Harvard lawyer who has um, defended Trump and his actions in terms of, you know, firing Jim Comey, the former FBI director. Um, uh, you know, Fox, I think, makes less of an effort to do that. Um, you know, there is a discussion now about is it right to be pursuing the you know America's form of objective journalism in the current circumstances when some of the things um, Trump has said are so out of line are so um, beyond the pale you know I think there's a, there's a real discussion going on can you pursue that form of objective balanced uh, uh, reporting and discussion giving each side equal time when the other side seems to be you know pushing up against you know 
basic understandings and beliefs that we've held for years, which is that you don't denigrate, you know, people of color and um, you don't advocate violence, um, you know, the whole locker up chant, um, you know, it, it just it, it, it's, it's something that the media, I think, is grappling with. But I suppose, Stephanie, the, the danger is if you don't even try to balance those panels, as, as Mike was saying, then you just um, feed into the sort of conspiracy theorists or, you know, the, the, the fake news accusations because a, a Trump supporter who stumbles upon that sort of panel on CNN won't bother going back to CNN because we'll just assume that it's completely biased. I do think, though, that CNN, and I, I watch CNN fairly regularly. I don't watch Fox News fairly regularly. It's harder to get here. But CNN does make an effort. Mm. It doesn't work all the time, but they do make an effort to, to get Trump supporters in another perspective uh, on most of their panels. Um, it may be that in the wake of the midterms, it, it's it's more of a sort of chaotic reporting yeah. environment. Um, but the mainstream um, channels, NBC, uh, ABC, they also, um, you know, make sure that the, the Sunday talk shows, for instance, always have someone who's pro-Trump on the panel. And I, I suppose when we're getting a bit into the sort of nitty gritty of how different media organisations work, but my understanding of one of the big differences between sort of an American news organisation and a British news organisation is that the booker and the, the, the guest booker, who in a sort of London office would be an office junior, is the sort of king in a um, American newsroom and is paid a huge amount of money to secure big interviews and big guests and sort of top-notch um, people and therefore the, the, and there's a fight you know a, a real competition between different networks to get those big names and I just wonder if that has an impact on this sort of competitive spirit between different news organizations which is perhaps one of the reasons why for instance, you know in their lobby in their press corps they they are sort of not a united force. No, I mean, I, I, it, that is true that they, they probably wield more power than they would in a British context. Um, but, you know, the, the, the Trump administration has upended so many um, rules and traditions um, and forced people to, to rethink things. Um, you know, it, it's not easy to get a Trump supporter, for instance, on, uh, say, you know, CNN. Mm. Um, there aren't that many... Uh, you know, who are out there, like uh, the former um, New Jersey governor, Chris Christie, is a regular on N NBC, for instance, and he's a, he's a, been a consistent uh, Trump supporter. Um, you know, I, the, the challenge, I think, is getting those Trump supporters that can uh, on there to provide balance, but are not off on the deep end. And I, I think, you know, getting getting those, I think, is more of a challenge. Stephanie, I know you have to leave. Just asking one more quick question. The future, uh, not just for the relations between the press and Trump and the administration uh, uh, coming up, is going to be tricky, isn't it? Because even though Trump made noises about um, wanting to be actually uh, together with the Democrats and trying to solve things that they have in common, even though he's now lost the House, basically he loves the idea that he's going to be op on opposite sides against somebody now because that's where he thrives. Yes, and, and there's been much talk of that, that he now has a foil, you know, in the form of Nancy Pelosi, who looks likely to be um, the leader, the Democratic uh, leader in the House. Uh, however, I think he is running scared because the House now has subpoena power. They can subpoena his tax records. They can uh, issue subpoenas uh, uh, for individuals involved in uh, the Russia investigation. They can make his life extremely difficult and force transparency where there has not been. Um, and I think I think that is um, uh, 
uh, not something he would welcome. He can present her as um, uh, obstructionist and the House Democrats as preventing him from pursuing his agenda. But, you know, I think the next year we will learn a lot uh, just through the House using its subpoena power. Mm, interesting stuff. Mm. Stephanie, thanks very much indeed. Stephanie Baker there, a senior writer at Bloomberg News. This is the Independent Republican, Mike Graham. You know what to do, 0344 Coming up, we will be hearing a little bit more about the saga of the IKEA shopping trip, mm-hmm. uh, which, of course, Daisy has now been embro- embroiled in for at least, what, three weeks now, it must be? Uh, it's going to be more than that. Maybe more. I reckon it's more like five weeks. It all kicked off at the beginning of the, October, didn't there it? There was the worktops, and then there was the shelving. So it's two different, two yes. whole different purchases. Oh, God, I can't wait to hear the latest <laughs> on it. Here's uh, a piece that somebody, has, uh, Pablo, has sent me in about John uh, Burko, uh, claimed travel and accommodation expenses of 31000 £1,400 uh, over the past year, and that was back in 2015. Uh, he made an official trip to Australia with an aid uh, and almost a £1,000 uh, fee for a car journey from Halifax to oh, London. I remember I that I mean, even one. if you're going from Halifax to London in a, in a Rolls Royce, <laughs> I don't think it costs a 1000 quid, does it? No, well then add the, you know add the petrol. You might you might get up to fifty quid. Well, that's I mean you know I mean I reckon I could do it for at least four maybe four or five hundred. I don't think a thousand is right, but I mean trouble is there is so little scrutiny on so much of what goes on inside the Houses of Parliament that that's the bit we need to change. Everybody's focusing on Brexit. Everybody's focusing on you know Donald Trump. Let's get some real actual reality into it. Let's talk about black and white television. Ooh, uh, yes. George is on the phone. Hello, George. Yeah, hi there, Mike. Hi, Dave. Have you have you seriously got a black and white TV? No, I had a black and white TV, and I know someone who works for the TV license. Right. And he said, if you had a black and white license, they would never come to check up. Right. So I went and bought a colour TV. Yes. I handed over pound notes, uh, gave them a false name and address, and I had a black <laughs> and white license with a colour telly for 10 years. Right. And then go. I got a bit windy, so I went and bought a colour licence. So I saved a few hundred pounds. Right. So where did you where did you give this false information to the post office? No, no. When uh, when you bought I, the telly, I went into the shop. Oh, when you bought the telly. telly. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. Now I've never thought about. It. Do, do they insist on taking your details when you buy a telly? Well, I think they do, so that uh, they can pass it on to the TV license. So they can people. dob you in. Mm. I know That's that. It. I know that. Whenever there was a time, whenever you bought, even if you bought, say, a freeview box, or you bought anything to do with a TV or a video recorder or anything like that, or a DVD player, they would they would ask you if you had a TV license. But I think now what happens is they uh, they inform the TV license people that you've bought this item. Yeah. Therefore, they then email you to say, you know, do you have a TV licence? And I guess... But you see, my problem, George, always was... I mean, I, you sound as though you, you may have lived in the time when we had those things called TV detector vans, right? Now, yeah, yeah. I never believed that anybody inside those could do anything. No, they were just eating sandwiches. They were just, they were just eating sandwiches, <laughs> and they had that funny thing that went around on the top, which looked like something out of, uh, you know, Department yeah. S blip, or something, blip, blip. or Thunderbirds. No, no, I think you know. wrong there. Oh, no. They were very accurate. They could detect Are you sure? a TV licence, yeah, in a block of flats. They were very accurate. Really? Ooh. But the other, yeah. the other thing was that I was told, George, and maybe your friend who knows about these things will have told you, if they knocked on your door and said, we demand entry to see whether you've got a television, you didn't have to let them in? No, it, that was never discussed. Really? No. So, George, what made you lose your nerve after 10 years? Yeah. 
Well, I, I, Life I'm of not crime. a person. I thought I'd had a good run for my money and it was time to call it quits. Right. Yeah, don't push now, your luck. Now, some people are telling me on Twitter that you can still buy a black and white TV licence. Is that true? Uh, I, I don't know about yeah, that. Yeah, you but can, but that's, probably... that's why there are still 7,000 people, because that report has come from yeah. the TV licence people, and yeah, they're well, saying that 7,000 7, people, people still have a TV yeah. license, a black and white TV licence and claim, like George, to mm. have a black and white TV. I don't think any of them do. I think they're all is doing it... what George is doing. Well, was, it, was well, doing. well, maybe they're just turning the colour off and watching it in black and white. What no, you, you still have to pay for the licence. And you have to pay for the licence if you only watch telly on a... Laptop or well, or see, iPad. this is going to become an interesting conversation, George. Thanks very much indeed, George and Essex there, who uh, lived a life of crime uh, by pretending to have a, a, a black and white TV when actually had a colour one. I'm sure there are lots of people doing that, right? And in fact, I would I would guarantee that at least half of the seven thousand, at least half, are, are are watching a proper colour television because I can't imagine how old a black and white TV would now be. 50, you know, 50 when did years they stop? Old? When did they stop making those things? I actually went to university with a guy who was a TV engineer. Um, and he, he was studying electrical engineering. At, well, phone at him up and ask him. <laughs> he doesn't speak to me anymore because apparently, um, you'll love this, right? When I got married and I hadn't seen him for about, I don't know, 10 years or something or yeah. nine years or something, he didn't come to my wedding, which was both either in New York or London. He, I had a, a well, party wasn't in London. invited. Well, he didn't come to the one in New York. So I, I didn't bother inviting him. I invited him to the party we were having in London. And a couple of my other university friends came and said, no, Dave's not coming. He says you owe him £20. No, I'm serious. Up. Yeah. What did you owe him £20 well, for? Well, I can't remember. I mean, bar bill? Probably. I don't know. I mean, you know, when I was a student, I never had any money. So it's very possible that I borrowed money from him and didn't pay him back. These things happen. Well, you know actually, I mean? well, he saved you even more money by not coming to your wedding. That's true. you would have been paying for his food and booze, so you owe him even other, more money The other now. great surprise was when this woman turned up at the, the, my parents' front door, and I answered the door. I had no idea who she was. I was like, hello. Uh, she says, oh, hello, in a Scottish accent. I said, uh, who are you? She says, I'm your cousin. <laughs> Come for the wedding. Yeah, my cousin called June, who lived in Glasgow, who had apparently been invited by my parents. I'd no, I, you know, I hadn't seen her since I was just about four or something, you know. So anyway. the licensing department, TV licences, yeah. said that it did did not sus- suspect people of lying about their televisions to get a cheaper licence. A black and white licence is five, £50.50. Pounds 50. That's £100 less than a colour licence. So G- George was right when he said yeah. he saved himself, save hundreds, himself hundreds, of pounds. hundreds of pounds. But it sounds mad to me. I mean, the idea as well that they're going to... Ca- I mean, there's a lot of people now arguing about the BBC and about what they should be offering us in the future, yeah. whether they become a kind of pay-per-view service because of what's going on with, with everything that we now watch, where we watch watch Netflix, we watch Amazon Prime, we watch Sky, we watch yeah. all kinds of things other than the BBC. Do they really have any right to charge us as much money as they do? Uh, and if you don't have a television and you want to watch TV on a laptop or you want to watch the BBC iPlayer on a phone, why should you have to pay a licence? I mean, it doesn't make exactly. any sense um, to me. Yeah, most kids just not are, sustainable, are watching YouTube. Or, well, watching it if their Wi-Fi is working, which mine isn't. So I was on the phone to Sky this morning for 20 minutes. Really? And guess what they told me to do? I don't know, go on. Uh... Turn it off and on again. That was basically <laughs> what took them 20 minutes to tell me. Uh, but he, it was quite spooky because he could look up, he could get into my router um, and see how many devices were connected to oh, really? it. Which I found quite sort of spooky because considering spooky. he was on the end, he was in, yeah. I think they're based in Northern Ireland. Well, it that's... tells you they know a lot more about what they can fix and what they can't he, fix. He also told me that I have 17 devices connected to my Wi-Fi. Really? Which I was quite shocked by. That's a lot. It is a lot. That really is. But well, that... we should talk about screen time. We're going to talk about that coming yeah. up because there's a new uh, a cot that somebody's designed, which has got a built-in iPad, which I think is a brilliant idea, so actually. That would be that would be number 18. Yeah. Well, I was horrified to discover the other day that I've actually, I actually own currently, which are all operational, seven different items made by Apple. 
Yeah, that's not. Yeah, I suppose. So you don't think that's a lot, do you? Well, no, I do think it's a lot, but I'm trying to think. But does that include like stuff that the kids have? And no, that's just mine. That's just you. Pat. No, that's no, that, just me. That's a lot. No, no, no. That doesn't include them. <laughs> I've got an I, the new iMac that I bought. Yeah. Right, I've got my original iPad, which I still use because it's got about three thousand songs on it. So yeah. I use it as a as a kind of giant as a very I, big iPod. Giant iPod. <laughs> right. I've got an iPod because I use that for filming stuff. Uh, I've got two iPhones, one which is mine and one which belongs to the two mics. I've also got um, a new iPad, which I, the one that I actually use. And then what's the what's the other thing I've got? I can't remember what the other one is now. Uh, another a laptop. A... Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. A MacBook Air. Wow. So seven. That's just in my flight. Well, that's that's a lot more than me. Is it? I have a shuffle, which is now it's vintage. That's cause, vintage. Because because yeah. they they've been discontinued. You can't yeah. even buy them anymore. My sister used to get 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 free sort of shuffles and things when she worked in Wall Street. She used to get these free things to give away to, to clients and stuff, you know, as presents. Well, see, so, I love them. So but... we did, always did very well at Christmas because I don't know what I've done with all my old sort of iPods and iPods. When I was being and good on my regime and was sort of going out for runs quite yeah. a lot, the shuffle was so much better than mm. having your phone on you. Yeah, well, it's tiny, isn't it? Yeah. Although the great thing is with having a phone, but, but at least I haven't got an Apple Watch. Uh, you know, I you've do. got one of those. Yeah, that see. was a present, though. Was it? Okay. Yeah. All right. Anyway, that's <laughs> enough. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Well, we talk about biased uh, news organisations all the time. I yep. don't think me saying that John Burko should shove off is in any way uh, a detractment, <laughs> a detractment from... Uh, yeah, why don't you uh, get off the fence, yes, Mike? Yes, I mean, you know, I'll try and be as balanced as possible, uh, which is exactly why we've got Andrew Bridgen on, Conservative MP for North West Leicestershire, who I'm sure uh, will disagree with me. Andrew, a very good morning to you. Good morning, Mike. No, I completely agree. I, uh, <laughs> I'm not a great fan of the uh, of the speaker. No, um, I, I think um, the uh, the Dame Laura Cox uh, excellent report into bullying and harassment. Uh, would, the conclusions were damning, but will come of no surprise to anyone who spent any time in the Palace of Westminster. Mm. Uh, there is a culture of keep your mouth shut, and basically, I think the staff think that if if you were to whistleblow about uh, a senior official at the House of Commons or uh, a, an MP that you're probably writing your own resignation letter out, and, and that's an unhealthy situation. And what we actually have now is a, a Speaker of the House of Commons who's uh, facing allegations of bullying and harassment himself, which he denies, protecting a very close friend of his, Keith Vaz, who's a senior MP who's facing allegations of bullying and harassment, which he denies. And Andrew, just to explain to people who, who, who aren't au fait with parliamentary procedures, exactly how it is that Burko is able to, to, to get involved in this story and what, what it is he's supposed to have done. 
Well, there's um, a, apparently Newsnight, the BBC, have been looking into, and they really sort of exposed uh, by various whistleblowers coming forward, uh, the culture of bullying and harassment in the House of Commons and the Palace of Westminster, which I would, I would point out um, in Dame Laura Cox's report, she maintained it's a very small minority of MPs who've been named by uh, anonymous witnesses coming forward and giving evidence to her. 200 people came forward and gave evidence anonymously. Uh, a very small number of, of MPs, but it does it affects the reputation of all members of mm. Parliament. And I think the vast majority of my colleagues, overwhelming majority, would be uh, actually really annoyed about all of this. We've only got a few rotten apples, but I think the problem in the House of Commons is that our rotten apples are right on top of the barrel. Yeah, exactly right. And they're sort of poisoning it from above, if you like, which is unusual. But what uh, I find strange... They, it, was very, it was very key, very key in, the, in the report that... Uh, Dame Laura Cox's conclusions were that the current senior management of the Palace of Westminster, which is the Speaker's office, and uh, the senior clerk, David Natzler, that the culture change required to sort this problem out, she didn't believe could happen while they were still in position. It's interesting that David Natzler, the, uh, the, the top clerk of the House of Commons, I believe has announced that he's going very shortly, but obviously the Speaker... He did say that uh, through friends, through friends only, unofficially, that he, he was looking at going next summer. Mm. But he's actually put an official statement out saying he's made no announcement as to when he's leaving his position. Uh, and that's deeply, deeply worrying. Well, it is. And also what is worrying is that uh, under the Freedom of Information Act, there is such a thing as a certificate, apparently, under Section 34, yep. brackets 3, which basically means that you can keep anything secret that you want. Now, now I'm, I'm not un unaware of the Freedom of Information Act. I've used it a few times. I didn't know that there was a clause in it, which actually was a pretty much a shutting down of any request that was ever made. Well, I'm aware that M MPs themselves, we're, we're not covered by the official, by uh, Freedom of Information, because yeah. obviously constituents will write to me about deeply personal uh, private matters mm. that are of concern to them. And I can't have you then saying, I want to see old Andrew Bridgen's emails for the last six months, can I? Because obviously no, no constituent... Well, yeah, I think I should me. be able to see them, Andrew, as a journalist, <laughs> but, you can, but you, can, you can redact whatever you want to do and then we can have an argument about what you've redacted, but you should not be well, able to just shut it all down and say, no, you can't see any of them. But, but this, this situation is where the, the BBC wanted... Uh, the allegations against Keith Vaz were that on a foreign trip abroad, he was very rude and, uh, to, uh, and belittled... The clerk, who was—it was an official trip of of the time he was at the time he was the chairman of the Home Affairs Select Committee, and that there were meetings with people. Obviously, if you're on official business, the civil servants need to know who you're meeting yeah. so that it can all be recorded and and it's all at arm's length transaction. Effectively, that you know it's it's all above board. And apparently, there was a lot of uh, grey areas about the people that who were paying for dinners that Mr. Vaz was attending, and I think it was it was the background to all of that trip and the notes around it. That, yeah. uh, that the speaker didn't wish the uh, news night or the public to see. And, and one has to ask the question... What, what's it got to do with the speaker? Well, well, that would be my first <laughs> question, yeah. And also, and also, what could possibly be in there that was, that was so damning that he doesn't want it to come out? And he's used some sort of arcane 17th century parliamentary procedure that's not been used for a long time to, to block the freedom of information. Uh, it all seems to be going... They are very, very close friends. Uh, and I think that's unhealthy. Well, that makes it worse, doesn't it? Much. Yep. Yeah. And, and you know, from an outsider's point of view or somebody that used to be in the lobby, you know, that neither is a, an individual that you would 
would that you would think would get a lot of character witnesses. No. I, I trying to be diplomatic. Yeah. Not terribly popular either yeah. of them. I think is it, 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 I can say. Well, I mean, Mr. Mr. Vaz was involved in the. Uh, cocaine and rent boy scandal which i reported to parliamentary standards i think it was on the, the 6th of september 2016 yeah that was I quite a while ago yes that, that still hasn't reported mysteriously that's strange, still ongoing though, yeah it's i mean and a lot strange. of people find that staggering and and you know people at this time when we're you know we're con- confronted with the brexit dilemma every single day and we're asking people to have faith in the political system you know they exactly. don't have it because of reasons like this where they say well hang on why is keith vaz still on a public payroll well, at the end of the day, law lawmakers can't be lawbreakers, can they? Well, uh, you may say uh, that I couldn't possibly comment. And Andrew, can well, I can I ask you for you know, in the House of Commons, what's the sort of attitude to this? Is people sort of just shrugging their shoulders and think and moving on, or is there real anger about it? I think there's real anger about it, and I think the you know I'm going to be uh, cynical now, but I think the speaker probably is going to stand down. Uh, next summer, he'll have done ten years, uh, but he wants to go on his own terms. Right. Um, and I think he's desperate, following the the production of the Dame Laura Cox report, which was damning about him, his office, and the clerk's senior clerk's office, that he desperately doesn't want any investigation into historic uh, allegations of uh, bullying and abuse until he's left office. So now, apparently, we're going to have another. Uh, investigation where again no MPs names are going to be mentioned that will use a lot of time up Um, and I think he's desperate to keep a lid on all of this until after the Brexit votes and after he's gone because he needs to be in the House of Lords by convention any retiring speaker goes to the House of Lords and obviously if it were to be uh, found that he had been um, that these accusations are in fact upheld and true um, that would put his peerage and his position yeah. in the House of Lords in future in some it's jeopardy. So, so I think it's so self-serving, so isn't it? Yeah, it, it used to be that I, I can remember when I first started as a cub reporter in the lobby that it was the case that retiring speakers not only went to House of Lords but became hereditary peers. <laughs> I don't know if anyone else is old enough oh, to remember God. that, but luckily I think Betty Boothroyd was the first yes. not to get that. Well, the, the, the problem is for the public, and uh, they have a great, a great sympathy with them. That they're thinking that it would appear to be one rule for them and one rule for politicians. Well, I would again reiterate, uh, the vast majority of elected members of parliament from all parties are, I might not agree with their politics, but they're generally trying to do what they believe is the best interests of the country and their constituents. We've got some bad apples, but I believe those bad apples are in really, really powerful positions. And it's bringing the whole of our parliamentary system into disrepute at a time when people need to have confidence because we're going to go through the Brexit process. Yeah. Andrew, can I ask you, there's a, a, a follow-on um, in the Times today, Lord um, Paddock, David pa- sorry, David Panic, um, who's a QC but also crossbench peer in the Lords, um, has been talk- talking about the, as he calls it, abuse of parliamentary privilege, both in this case but also more specifically in the um, uh, Lord Haynes' naming of Sir Philip Green when he used parliamentary privilege. And uh, Panic is saying that that actually was an abuse of what parliamentary privilege is meant to be there for. Would you agree with that? Um, it is, especially when you look at um, Lord Haynes' links to the Telegraph, who um, are the lawyers for the Telegraph, who were in litigation um, at the time yeah. um, against Philip Green. Um, that is 
I mean, he really should have declared that interest even before he gave it that It certainly speech. was quite a remarkable coincidence, wasn't it? <laughs> and apparently it was on the Telegraph within minutes of him giving the speech. Um, and nobody else had noticed. That was one of the funniest things. Of course, you're meant to have. There are rows and rows of where the journalists yeah. are meant to sit, right. you know, diligently writing down everything that yes. the peers are saying and nobody noticed because nobody was listening, which Just, is a little uh, bit embarrassing. Apart from the Telegraph. Apart well, from I, the Telegraph. I, myself, um, I objected when, uh, well... When Keith Vowes had to, following the cocaine on rent boy scandal in 2016, when he had to stand down as chairman of the Home Affairs Select Committee, um, which is interesting because he'd actually just produced a report for the government recommending that prostitution was made legal, um, when it would, which you may see a slight conflict of interest there. Yes. Um, and he then wanted to go on to the, was nominated by the Labour Party to go on to the Justice Committee, and he was then on, under police investigation for. Uh, an allegation um, that I put forward that he'd actually was conspiracy to supply a controlled substance, which mm. was uh, cocaine. Yeah. Um, he was actually under police investigation, and uh, they were going to put him on the Justice Committee. I objected in the chamber. We had a debate on that and a vote. And the Speaker was very keen uh, to shut me down yeah. and prevent me telling Where is the... the House of Commons what, what I knew about or believed I knew about Keith Vowles. If, if you'll pardon me uh, mentioning the Corbyn word, where is the Labour Party on this particular situation well, with Keith Well, amazingly... Um, you know, because they're very keen all... to root out anti-Semitism from the party, aren't they? Yes. Well, they're not very keen to root out Keith Vowles. No. Keith Vowles, despite all of the scandals he's been involved in, all of his career, and most recently uh, the, one, the ones... Um, relating to the rent boys, uh, he still remains on Labour's National Executive Committee, and I'm told... That's that, extraordinary. Uh, he he must have dirt on the rest of the committee, surely. You might say that I couldn't possibly comment. <laughs> yeah. uh, Andrew, That's a I'm, shocking allegation, that, Daisy. I, I'm fascinated to know, I've sort of got this vision in my head of, you know, Keith Vaz sitting next to you in the members' dining room or bumping into you on the, you know, on the, one of the terraces or, uh, you know, in the lobbies. Um, wh- presumably it's a little chilly if you find yourself face-to-face with him. Well, Keith Vaz is quite an operator. When I first arrived in the House of Commons in 2010, I mean, Keith will send every single MP a Christmas card. And it, on your birthday... Well, I think you should thank us for that, Andrew, because we paid for it. Bring a Christmas card, a birthday card to you. All I'll say is he doesn't bother sending me a Christmas card or a birthday card anymore. You're off the list. You're off the list, yeah. I imagine a lot of people I... are off the list. But serious, I mean, this. I mean, we're being slightly tongue-in-cheek here, Andrew, but, but this is a very serious and problematic issue, not only for Burko, but for how Parliament goes forward here. Because in the end, you know, you don't want to have another John Burko sitting in the Speaker's chair, do you? You don't, and, and doesn't it reinforce exactly the conclusions of uh, Dame Laura Cox in her report yeah. that we're not going to get the, the cultural change in the House of Commons while John Burko's no, exactly. in the chair? Exactly, and no. also his kind uh, of it's rather... It's his interest to do so, and, and he's actually now still appears to be protecting the dwindling band of friends and supporters he still has. Yeah, but also this rather grand and regal view of his that, you know, I shall leave the office as and when I see fit. Uh, I do not wish to have my name tarnished. I wish to go to the House of Lords as if nothing had happened. I mean, it's quite preposterous. I mean, it wouldn't happen in any other business. I mean, we talk about hounding people like Philip Green out of his uh, company which is effectively what Peter Hayne would like to do. Uh, whereas, you know, inside Parliament, apparently you can get away with murder, practically. The, well, the, the, um, the Speaker has huge power. He chairs the Parliamentary Commission, which is the most powerful committee that sets the rules. And he, he clearly has a vested interest. I think the longer you're an MP, the harder it is to probably remember 
the crucial fact is that members, members of Parliament, we are servants of the people, we are not their masters. Mm. Well, I think it would be good if more people said exactly that, Andrew. Thank you. Can I ask you one final question? And it's, I'm afraid about the big B word, Brexit. Um, yeah. I still don't really know whether to believe Theresa May uh, or whether to believe David Cameron or whether to believe uh, Jacob Rees-Mogg. I mean, who's actually worth believing in this whole scenario? Shoddy scenario, I should say. Well, there's been there's been a lack of transparency, and uh, I'm not sure that everything that uh, the government have told us with regard to the way that the Brexit process has moved forward has been uh, completely transparent and above board. I think the way that they worked on the so-called checkers proposals behind the back of David Davis and Steve Baker, who are ministers in the part for exiting the EU, so effectively they were given a fait accompli and they had to resign. Um, I won't be voting for the withdrawal agreement. I, I, I can't support a deal where we're going to sign over £39 billion to the European Union for the promise of some deal. No one would buy a house they'd never seen or hadn't been built or a car that they couldn't look at. And it's not my money. It's, it's taxpayers' money. It's your money. Um, we need something much, much better than that. And, and I'm very grateful. I, I campaigned for leave and uh, I voted leave on the basis that uh, I believe that the people in my constituency should have the right to vote in or out the people who make their laws. And if we stay under the common rule book under the Chequers proposals, um, we're under EU law. Those, those laws are made by unelected, unaccountable uh, bureaucrats in the Commission. Uh, they're not made by politicians in the UK. So I can't support that either because that's not taking back control of our laws. Because actually, you... sovereignty, sovereignty doesn't belong to me. It's not mine to give away. It yeah. belongs to the people who elect me and the people in this country, and it also belongs to their their children and their children's children. It's not ours to give away. Andrew, Mike promised that that was the last question, but I'm breaking well, that promise. Prom- I'm, I'm, I'm breaking that promise. Just reflect. You, you just... could be a politician. <laughs> you're promises faster than a politician. That's right. Easy. Um, how many... are you with rent boys and cocaine? How very dare <laughs> <Sorry>. you? <laughs> um, how many others do you think um, will vote against, like you've said you will? The ERG's probably got about 65 members. Um, I am all these reports that you know the Eurosceptics uh, in in the Conservative Party are are wavering, and and mm. a lot of pressure will be put on them by the Whip's office, and there'll be coercion, and there'll be promises of promotion and threats, if that whatever. I, I still think there'll be 50 Conservative MPs who will vote against the deal. Uh, Chequers was unacceptable, and, and the negotiations, the Chequers was only proposals. They'll have been watered down further through negotiation. We haven't got to the end of the negotiation yet. So it's rather worse than Chequers, not better than Chequers. So if I wouldn't vote for Chequers, I'm certainly not going to vote for the deal that we end up uh, being proposed. OK. Well, listen, Andrew, really appreciate your time. Thank you very much for joining us. A very entertaining conversation and very informative as well. Yes. If more MPs would like some of the MPs we talk to on this show... Uh, like we had David Davis on earlier in the we week, have the Andrew cream Bridget. Of the crop. We have these sensible politicians who are not running the country when they should be actually running the country. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show ten to one Monday to Friday on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.